Welcome to the Illuminating Mycelium Podcast. The podcast for everyday people by everyday people. I'm your host, Project Dave, and I'm back at it again to continue highlighting and amplifying the lives, ventures, and endeavors of everyday people just like you and me and learning from them along the way. Today we have a very special guest for you all. He may be familiar to some of you. You may have even received a weather forecast or two from this man. It is none other than Sven Sungard. He's a local meteorologist. He's also a conservationist and a climate activist. So we discuss a few different things in this episode. It's going to be very informative and also fun at the same time. So we discuss his background growing up in Minnesota and what he likes about living here now. We talk about weather, climate science, and climate change, including a class that he's currently teaching at a middle school. And if you want to follow Sven further, I do have his links in the description box. He does give routine weather updates and more. So you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Sven on. Enjoy, guys. When talking about everyday people and their stories, we can't help but talk about all their hard work. So grab a cup of coffee. I often think about what fuels a lot of these everyday folks, as well as what sustains me personally. Coffee certainly helps, but it can't just be any coffee. It's got to be coffee made by everyday people for everyday people. The kind that when you brew it in a pot, it kind of just draws everyone to the kitchen and they're sniffing that aroma. Our beans are sourced from small businesses in the heart of the Appalachia. My personal favorite, the Route 39 blend from Lexington Roasters is a Forbes top ranked coffee. You can also check the notes on each blend to determine flavor profiles, shipping, and more. Beans are roasted on a weekly basis to ensure freshness. So if you're looking for some extra fuel to aid you in your everyday lives, ventures, and endeavors, go to thegrindbluefield.com backslash shop dash coffee dash roast or click the link in the description to pick out your next coffee beans and brew a pot of happiness. The grind never stops. Hey, Sven, how are you doing today? Good. All right. So first off, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast um, and telling us more about yourself. You grew up in Minnesota, um, the southeast suburbs, correct? That's right. Cottage Grove. I was uh, born in St. Paul. We were there till I was about three. And then I was the oldest. When my sister was born, my parents decided they wanted, they both grew up, born and raised St. Paul, um, decided they wanted their kids to grow up in the country, which was Cottage Grove at that time. Oh, gotcha. Nice. So, yeah, we grew up uh, animals and all sorts of stuff. Awesome. And what did you like most about growing up there? Um, I think the fact we were outside all the time and just really connected to nature. I think uh, a lot of kids in urban and suburban areas lose that now. Um you know, and then especially when you add in all the technology that's trying to take up their time, you know, I mean, it sound like an old man when I say this, but we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have iPads or, you know, even, you know, the computers were word processors in the eighties and most of the, you know, early to mid nineties. So, um, you know, if, if we were lingering inside watching TV, which is the one thing you could get sucked into as a kid, but we couldn't get cable because you, you had to have an actual satellite dish, you know, that's before dish or direct TV. Um, 
you know, my dad said, if you can't find something to do, uh, I'll find something for you to do. So we're outside <laughs> quick. I've that usually that meant, yeah, that usually meant shoveling horse manure in the barn or something worse. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then fast forward now, you're still living in Minnesota. Um, so you <laughs> must enjoy living here, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, uh, well, it's also hard to move in the pandemic, but, um, no, I, yeah, born and raised and, uh, love the, love the state. I live in Minneapolis where I've been a Minneapolis resident for 11 years. So yeah, I like it. And I've learned an appreciation of winter again the last couple of years that I, you know, I had as a kid. And then, you know, as an adult, I think a lot of people get sick of it because it can get in the way of life. Um, but I grew up skiing and, and as I've been more involved in studying climate change, I've, I've tried to con reverse my thinking on, Oh, it's miserable outside too. Hey, we actually have a little winter weather for a week. Let's appreciate this because it's becoming increasingly rare and it's changing so quickly. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel that. Um, now on the flip side, um, aside from the weather, are, what would you say that you least enjoy about Minnesota? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, wow. I don't know. You know, I've, al I've always, people asked, you know, working in TV too, there, there are, this is, this was a large market, but the, you know, there are some bigger markets, but you know, you look at cities in the country and I think when you really lay out the pros and cons, this is really, even if you don't like winter and it is long, um, we really are, this is a good city or area to live in compared to most, you know, there aren't, you know, like I love San Francisco, but living there absolute fortune. And oh, yeah, I've heard that. And it's cloudy and gray, May, June, July, which are the months here that we live for. So, you know, they kind of get their summer in September. I don't, you know, I don't know that I would, you know, I, and then New York love New York, but would I want to live there? I don't know. Um, Gosh, you know, I I don't really think of cons. It's hard. It's hard for me to to put, put to put some. I think I guess I wish we were less passive aggressive, but we all we That's all true. Are, we all are that way. We're raised that way, and it's hard. You know, I'm guilty of it too. Um, I do appreciate the directness of other cultures. You know where people stand, but people here get offended by directness. So, yeah, I definitely feel that. I guess it's a good thing that you couldn't really think of any cons right off the top of your head. Yeah, nobody ever asked that. <laughs> Everyone's like, why do you love it here? You know, that's the, that's an easier question. Right, right. Um, so we obviously have been talking about weather a lot and you being a meteorologist. So I want to ask you a few questions related to that. Did you always know that you wanted to be a meteorologist or when did you first realize your passion for that? Um, it was a pretty long time. I was about 12 or 13 when I really got interested in it. Um, and it, it's, there's not really a dramatic story of like, I saw a tornado or something. <laughs> Some meteorologists have that story, but what the common theme is among most meteorologists, as long as they're actual meteorologists and not ones that just play them on TV, because there are a lot of those, even in the Twin Cities, believe it or not, um, is there was some event, something, and they got addicted to it. You know, once it's, it's, it's something that just clicks in your brain that's dormant and then something triggers it and you're kind of hooked. And I guess for me, I said, I grew up skiing. It was, 
the early to mid nineties is when we really started to get noticeably milder winters, you know, after the Halloween blizzard, the Halloween blizzard was kind of the leftover eighties last hurrah. And then after that, we had a string of very mild snowless or very undependable snow cover, uh, seasons. And I, it really got me thinking, well, where, what's going on? Where's the, where's the snow? So I would watch weather and see, okay, well, there's a storm coming, you know, on Monday, you're like, Oh, there's snow on Friday. And then it wouldn't happen. You're like, well, how, how do you think it will? And then it doesn't. And so that got me interested in forecasting and just sort of all, I mean, no pun intended snowballed. I, I just really, <laughs> it's, so it's kind of started with winter for me. And that's why I say winter is kind of this full circle of, I loved it when I was skiing and that's, you know, that's winter. If you, you, it's all about the, your attitude. If you're doing something outside in it and you appreciate it, you're going to love it. But if you're inside complaining, of course, you're going to hate it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was winter that really got me into weather. I mean, I love summer storms for sure. Don't get me wrong. But it was winter that actually was the first, you know, the gateway drug, I guess, to weather. for me. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I would have never thought about that. Yeah, like I say, most people, it's, it's they... They either saw a tornado or they heard about this huge outbreak somewhere and they just, that was what did it to them. Something really dramatic. Gotcha. Gotcha. So obviously you've been covering the weather for a long time. I really enjoy your weather updates. Um, what do you enjoy most about this field? I think, you know, the, the, the thing I like about working in media, you know, whether it's traditional TV or, digital you know video now is because i actually you know I'd, I'd wanted to be a meteorologist since i was 12 13 and then i got to my senior year of college and i'm like you know in, in college in meteorology if you ask anybody who goes into a science field it's is it's a you go through some ups and downs because it's hard it's it's hard work there's a ton of math um classical physics and you know you you fry your brain out and there are days where you're like gosh am i gonna make it through this should i change my whole major and approach to life and but you get through and then all of a sudden i was like boy this is going to happen what am i going to do with it because it's a very broad field you can go into research you can teach you can um, work in the national weather service you can work for private companies most of the airlines big ones have their own meteorology department and they're focused on very different things than you know the day-to-day -day weather that most of us care about you know they don't care what the high temperature is going to be they care what's happening aloft in between routes um you know utility companies have it and then of course what everybody thinks of is is media well that's actually a small part of of the field so i was like well wow what am i going to do so I, I applied for a bunch a ton of internships and i got or not a ton i should say i applied for three of them in the junior and senior year and i got all three which is not very common so then I had to balance three different internships that were very different. One was working for a private company that does like forecasting for utilities, airlines, all sorts of things. One was the weather service here. And then one was um, a TV station. And uh, I thought that that would help clarify for me what I wanted to do. And I came out of those two summers uh, more confused, actually, because I, I, there were things that I liked about each of them. And then things that I didn't like. And so I uh, ultimately what I did is I just applied for all sorts of jobs when I graduated from college. Um, I, my family didn't have the means to send all of us to pay us, pay for all of us to go to college. So, you know, I had a massive student loan debt. So I, I had to get working right away. 
And um, the first job offer I got was at a TV station in Duluth. So I thought, well, okay, I guess I'm going to at least start in this field and see what happens. Um, and so that's kind of, that's how I ended up into that side of it. And, but I felt better about it because the thing that kind of terrified me about working in the weather service or something was getting excited about a snowstorm or severe weather or whatever is approaching and not being able to share it with anybody, but a computer and maybe, you know, your office mate or something. And so the thing I like about connecting, you're connecting to people through media. And this is, it's not just unique to Minnesota, but I think particular because we get such a variety of weather. Everybody here on some level is kind of a weather geek. And they like, mm-hmm. they like learning a little more, you know, they would hate the forecast, the weather in LA that's only a minute or two and is all about, you know, temperatures or uh, the cert forecast. They like a little more meat with their, with their forecast and learning about, you know, okay, well, why did that happen? Or why didn't that happen? Or, you know, how does the polar vortex get dislodged? Um, and so that's kind of, that's been the fun thing over the last several months of, of putting my weather out through um, bring me the news, you know, digital sources and YouTube and Facebook and all that is I'm able to elaborate more on sort of the, the geeky mechanisms of weather in addition to the forecast and the feedback I've gotten is, is pretty surprising. I guess not surprising, but I'm surprised how much of the feedback I get back from people saying that they love the, the content and the additional content. Um, and then of course having it on demand, which is the future. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so you had mentioned, obviously you had a good experience with having the different internships and how, that kind of helped you narrow down like what you wanted to do. What what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a meteorologist in the future, like a upcoming teenager about to go to college or something like that? I guess the one thing I would say is, you know, that I would have done a little differently is, is try to figure out earlier on maybe what you want to do specifically, which means do, doing a little homework on the different tasks and duties in the field. And then honing in on um, some inter, you know, and any any um, college or um, advisor will tell you how valuable internships are. It's not just something for your resume. I mean, it helps you as well. Um, and and so do as many internships as you can, you know, because there are uh, in meteorology, uh, many of them do pay. Um, so they, I mean why not have a summer job that is doing something that you actually want to do anyway. But then also it kind of amazes me how many people go into college unprepared for how much math there is. Uh, my freshman year of college, I remember. You're listening to the illuminating mycelium podcast. If you're enjoying the show, you should come check out all of our fresh new merchandise and apparel that just dropped on our store. We've got t-shirts, pants, sweatshirts, hats, phone cases, water bottles, coffee mugs, shoot, even blankies, and a ton more. All made with comfy fabrics and premium materials. They feature our signature logos, catchphrases, guest picks, and come in all sizes. Now shipping nationwide right to your doorstep. Just go to illuminatingmyceliumpodcast.com or click the link in the description to pick out your next gear 
and become the mycelium. It was kind of hilarious. I remember you'd ask people, because St. Cloud State was the, is the only meteorology program in the state. And people, you know, you'd ask people, what's your major? What's your major? First of all, half of freshmen don't even know what their major is. So they're just guessing anyway. But, um, you know, I'd say, oh, meteorology. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about that too. I'm like, you're thinking about it? That's not something you just think about your freshman year. You got to go into it like fully prepared. If you're going to graduate in four years, you got to have a plan. You have to be, you have to have taken as much math as you did, could in high school. And I think people are thinking they were going to go into TV. They didn't realize that it's an actual science field and there's a ton of math involved. And, and, uh, and, you know, what meteorology is, is an applied science, we call it. It's an applied science of physics. And mathematics so you you are essentially a physicist applying that to the atmosphere so your first and foremost training for half of your college is in physics and mathematics like any of the physical sciences whether it's astronomy engineering you know all of them have the same you know all the all the kids you were in the classes with were up until your junior year were mostly other engineers um, and other physical science fields because they all have to do the same yeah. stuff until you get into the middle of your junior year. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad that you brought up before that it's a diverse field. There's a lot of different things that you can go into with it. Cause I think a lot of times people just see, you know, like how you had mentioned, they just see them on the local news stations or online. They don't see the actual math and science behind it. They just see like kind of like the TV personality or whatever. Yeah, no, it's, 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 that's what's kind of exciting about it is it's a, it's a small, it's a small field. You know, there aren't many meteorologists out there that you're ever going to meet. Um, but it's a broad field in terms of the opportunities. And so, you know, if you, if you just really figure out what it is that you think you want to do, like if you want to go into research, you know, I mean, you, you plan, you've got to plan on getting a graduate degree and PhD generally. Um, so you're in it for the long haul, but, um, that's, if you want to do research, you're obviously interested in enough to, to go through with it that far. Right. That makes sense. So, um, shifting gears here a little bit, uh, meteorology obviously ties in with the climate a lot. Um, and you had mentioned that you're actually helping with a, a middle school class, right, on climate science? Yeah, I'm teaching part-time um, to 7th and 8th graders um, earth science that's specifically uh, basically climate change um, unit, the climate change and conservation. So, you know, basics of climate change, uh, but then breaking it down kind of continent by continent, region by region, what are the unique um, climate problems and conservation issues you know australia is not the same as the arctic not just because it's hotter uh but climate change affects different parts of the world differently and so that's what i'm teaching these these students it's it's kind of fun i'm creating a curriculum basically from scratch but um it's it's a unique opportunity for the students and me yeah definitely that's awesome um so let's dive a little bit further into climate change. So you had mentioned that, you know, different regions are impacted differently by it and things like that. And there's a lot of different contributors, obviously human activity being a huge culprit in this. Um, 
And there's been different people that say different things. Like, you know, a lot of it comes from transportation. Some of it comes from agriculture. Would you maybe want to speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So we do know that it's, it's humans are the, are the culprit. You know, it used to be a little more debatable. Well, is there something, is there a natural component and then we're exacerbating it or is it mostly us, but then there's a little bit of a natural component. And we know pretty confidently now that it is us that the temperatures actually now because we have some really sophisticated thermodynamic models you know as far as the heat budget of the planet and you take out the human influences and you have a flat line temperature that would be the same as it was pre-industrial revolution so we do know that it's us and it's a combination of all those things that you mentioned transportation um uh agriculture is a big one it's getting more and more attention just how much it contributes, but also um, the big one is how we get our our power, our electricity. Is it what what is it? What sources are they coming from? You know, in, in parts of the developing world, China and India in particular, a lot of their electricity comes from burning coal, which is the worst thing. Um, we're we're more towards a mixture of things. You'll hear a lot about clean burning natural gas. Well, it's cleaner. It's not clean, uh, but it is better than than coal and and i most of us look at it as kind of a the the bridge between getting to renewables from dirtier coal and nuclear which everybody used to uh poo poo on is actually a, a, a clean uh form of energy now there is you know obviously things can go wrong if if it's not done right and you do have the problem with storing nuclear waste but it doesn't produce uh carbon dioxide or carbon emissions so so nuclear is also a, a good clean option at least in the interim until we get into uh more renewables definitely thanks for sharing that um why do you think that there's still resistance um particularly here in the united states to accept that it is human activity as the main culprit um I think a lot of it has to do with we are overall a fairly conservative society compared to Europe. Um, and for some reason, conservatism now is, I don't, I, what, I don't know how I, how I want to look at it, but it's kind of backwards. You know, the, you know, the, mm -hmm. some, a lot of, a lot of environmental policy in this country came from Republican presidents, you know, as, as recently as George H.W. Bush. Um, started to make climate change a thing in the 90s, early 90s. Um, and, and it was Richard Nixon who passed the Clean Air and Water Act and, you know, helped with other countries to eliminate our, our pollution that was causing ozone holes. Um, and so somehow we'd become, you know, the, we all know that the nations become so polarized on all sides so that it's like, for some reason, if climate change is associated with the left now somewhat in terms of doing anything about it, the right automatically says, well, we're against that just because without even looking at the science. Now, there's exceptions. There are, you know, moderate, reasonable, you know, not Trump conservatives that that care about the environment and want solutions. And, that, you know, that's the thing is we need to all get on board because the more the more approaches we have, the better solutions we're going to come up with you know the a more conservative approach says you know hey the free market 
capitalism can have ideas for this. You know, we can do this without blowing up an economy if we do it, you know, intelligently. The, the, the option just cannot be any longer to do anything about it. And the, the thing that's encouraging to me is the polling has finally changed in this country where solid majorities, A, believe in it, and B, want to do something about it, and um, C, want to learn more about it, especially in their local yep. areas. That's a lot of research has come out um, done by media companies that have found that the public want more information about climate change, specifically in their local areas. People, I think, kind of generally know the gist on a global scale, but they want to know, okay, how, how is the Twin Cities being affected? What are our unique issues? Because a lot of planning around climate change is, I mean, we obviously want to prevent the worst catastrophic scenarios, but a lot of it is we're already into it a certain degree. We're already knee deep into it. So how do we how do we adapt and mitigate what we already have? Like we know downpours are increasing, flooding, flooding downpour precipitation events are increasing. That's just a fact. We're not going to reverse that in the next 50 years. So how do we adapt, you know, construction techniques and how can we protect some of our wetlands from the erosion uh, of these, you know, what are supposed to be 400 year floods that are happening multiple times a summer now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what are some of the unique, um, I guess, approaches, or I'm not sure if this is the right word, but solutions to help mitigate climate change that you've come across? So there's a lot of unique ones where you're like, whoa, okay, that would be kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> there are some far-flung tech ideas. There, that, you know, There's machines being developed that like basically giant exhaust fans like on your uh above your oven that can absorb carbon dioxide take it out of the atmosphere um, but you can imagine how many of those would you need and how big um people already kind of get a little annoyed with windmills this would be bigger than that on scale <laughs> and you know you'd have unique problems with you know birds and things like that there's ideas to scatter basically microscopic glass into the upper atmosphere that would reflect sunlight but then it's like well if you do it wrong maybe you're going to cool an area too much and there could be unintended consequences that way um i think one of the what seemed far flung but a simple solution is uh planting three trillion trees on the planet which sounds like a lot but basically um it amounts to reforesting areas we've deforested if we could do that, that could take all the carbon that we've put into the atmosphere out without us doing anything else, just by planting trees where they belong again. Um, because trees take out a ton of carbon dioxide. We breathe out oxygen, trees absorb our carbon dioxide that we put out. Um, so I think that's intriguing. That one seems like, you know, it's not super technological, but it does, it does also seem sort of realistic. How are we going to go to Brazil? where they've deforested a lot of the Amazon for grazing of cattle and say, well, okay, you're out of here. We're going to replant. That's going to be tough. Or in Russia or parts of North America that we've deforested. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so how do you see climate change affecting Minnesota in particular? Because obviously we have a, a unique climate here. So yeah, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. Well, we're like, you know, the, the thing to 
the simplest way to explain it is we're a land of extremes naturally, right? We have four very different seasons. Um, and well, I think people initially thought as climate change was being talked about decades ago, they thought, Oh, well, global warming. Awesome. For Minnesota. Why should I be worried? You know, well, no, this isn't good. It's not going to look like Key West in 30 years. Okay. Um, the trend is warmer, but there are unintended consequences and a place like this, some of those extremes are becoming even more extreme. So like the polar vortex, there's, there's a lot of research going into, is the polar vortex breaking up and being disturbed more? You, do, you want a stable polar vortex where it's spinning strongly over the North Pole. But we've been seeing these disruptions where it's getting knocked off its axis or split into two. And then that's when we get these chunks of unusual cold that normally would stay bottled up a little further north. Um, so there's sort of, and it's that cold air coming from the Arctic is warmer than it used to be, but we're not necessarily used to seeing the core of it um, as much. And so there's so, those unintended consequences of this year, we can trace that likely the reason the, Arc the polar vortex split into two was it was so warm in Siberia in this, the, the oceans and seas between Alaska and, and Russia and near there, you remember it was 100 degrees in Siberia at one point this summer, north of the Arctic Circle, just insane. And it was hot into the fall. The sea ice formed late. All that heat, all that momentum, you know, air expands as it heats and the air above warm water is the same. All that momentum, that energy has to go somewhere. And literally, it appears it probably helped knock the polar vortex off its axis and you know just like if you falling skating it's not going to look pretty yeah definitely that that makes sense all right awesome uh well that that was all i had uh was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before departing no i think that's about it um i just would um i guess encourage people to Try to keep up on on climate information and conservation is a big thing. You know, it seems like an overwhelming. That's the thing about like climate change. Is it seems like there's overwhelming. Okay, what can I do? Sort of thing. But there are lots of things any of us can do, and, and some of it's simple in terms of what we eat. You know, eating less meat. I know it tastes good, but uh, one of the things I've done is, is not a vegetarian, but cutting out. You know, meat is going to be healthier too. But if you can cut out. Some of that meat, especially you know red meat, beef is 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 the the worst, and make it more of a special occasion. You know that's going to go a long way. Trying to eat local, uh, you know, even things like the way where your clothes are made makes a difference. If your shirt's made in China in a factory that uses electricity from coal versus the U.S., um, that's that has an impact too. But also simple things like. The monarch butterflies, uh, the, that migration's at risk of going extinct because of the loss of habitat, native prairie and, and um, milkweed, which is important to them. So, you know, you've seen people in recent years really step up to plant pollinator gardens, which helps monarchs and our endangered bee and butterfly species. So it's a win-win for pollinators. And we, we're not going to, we wouldn't last long without pollinators. You know, everybody quotes Einstein, who says we would mere decade or so before life would cease to exist we need pollinators for our whole food web so there's all sorts of things we can do and you know i i guess just get involved it's not it's not hopeless awesome 
All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing more with you us. You bet. All right. Take Me care. Too. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the show and had fun while learning more from everyday people just like yourselves. To support us and help us spread these stories even further, please consider giving us a review or rating on whichever platform you're streaming from. There will be links in the description box just in case you can't find it. And for more news and all things everyday people, join our newsletter by going to our website. By joining, you'll also gain exclusive offers and discounts on Illuminating Mycelium merchandise and apparel from our store. Just go to IlluminatingMyceliumPodcast.com or click the link in the description and become the Mycelium.